All righty, church. Let's, uh, ooh. I've got a, do have a little bit of, of a break from our Matthew uh, 24 and 25, uh, where we're at in, in our study of Matthew. And so uh, today, uh, I'd like for you to open up, if you would, first uh, to, um, let me see, what do we have first here? Ephesians chapter 4. And then we're going to go to John 15 um, soon after that. We'll talk a little bit today about what our life is for. Join me and pray with me, would you? God, I, I love you so much, Lord, and I, I just ask for your blessing, Lord, your guidance. Give me the words to speak, Lord. I pray that, Lord, this manuscript that I've poured over, Lord, that, that you've poured this out for me, for us. Help me to communicate your word to your people, Lord. Remove any hindrances, Lord, from understanding, from knowledge, from wisdom. God, help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. And help me please, Lord, and amen. Now, there comes a point in a person's life when one has to ask the question, what am I living this life for? What am I living this life for? Now, why would this question come, and, 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 and when would this question come? Well, I guess there could be many different reasons why this question would come into the train of thought of a person, but maybe the, the reason lies in, in yet another question. Maybe that question really gets down to the bottom of the actual question underneath the question. Or the question behind the question, so to speak, we might find that the question, what am I living for, puts the future into perspective because we might think that we might need a forecast or may need to look into the future to see what am I going to want to do? Who am I going to want to be? What do I want in my future? Therefore, what am I living this life for? But perhaps, perhaps the past is the best place to get to go to get down to the core of life and the way that we live it. Maybe we should instead be asking, instead of what is this life for, maybe instead we should be asking, who have I been living this life for? This is an important question that all of us should have deep within the well of who we are, the well of ourselves. So that we can get down to the bottom of who am I, why am I here, what purpose do I serve, do I serve any purpose at all? If we can ask who have I been living for, we can get to the bottom of some of those questions. Now as a Christian, if I can answer the question with, well I've been doing all of this for God, simply. What have I been living for? Who have I been living for? For God. If I can answer it that way, well then, so the satisfaction is mine because I'm satisfied in God and the glory is God's because He is glorified in us bearing much fruit and gaining satisfaction in Him. But if I answer that question, what am I living this life for or who am I living this life for with the answer to succeed, to be somebody, to make a difference so I can be successful, so I can have stuff, well then, we come to a point where we must 
excavate our lives and hearts, to ask other questions that would get us to our goal of finding what we live for. One of the main things I want for you today, church, is for us to be excavating our lives to find out what's our reason. What is the reason for living? Who sets that reason up in our hearts? How have we responded to that set up in our heart? How have we responded to the questions of life? How will we continue to respond? For instance, if we say, oh, uh, I want to succeed, uh, I want to be somebody, well, then we have to ask these questions, well, to succeed for what purpose? And what kind of difference am I, am, I, am I trying to make or am I making and, and who is that difference for that I'm trying to make? What do I mean I want to be somebody? Who is anybody really? Who is that somebody? Is it because we usually think that people who are somebody are important? Is that why I want to be somebody? Because I want to be important. And if so, then why do I want to be so important as to be somebody that people will look to and ultimately... I'll be at the center of life. Why do I want to be at the center of life? Because let's not get it twisted. This puts us at the center of life. The place where all thought and life for us revolves around us. If all we seek is this selfish ambition to be successful, to be somebody, I want to make a difference. What kind of difference for who? Who decides what kind of difference that is and if it's good or bad? Where do these decisions come from? And what's the moral backbone undergirding everything that we Seek in life. And if this were me, all of these answers to these questions would put me at the center, leaving me as the focal point, and perhaps even make me and my existence the point of life itself. Does this mean then that the life that I've been living is being lived directly and positively, positively and absolutely for me if all I want is my own success and to be somebody and then I ask, am I supposed to be the point? Let me ask you, church, are you supposed to be the point of life? Are you the point? Are you the center? Does everything in life revolve around you in your life, in your train of thought? And if I'm supposed to be the point, well, then what made me so important? Well, I guess it must have been me. Or maybe you think, well, I live my life for God, for the most part. I bet many of you are saying this, and I'd like to encourage you just a bit here. Let me encourage you to examine your life. Let me encourage you to come to the hard part when you answer the question, how does my life reflect what the Lord says and how He lives? How does my life Reflect what the Lord says and how He lives. Is there a reflection of the Word in the way that I live? Or is it just others that should live this way and it's my duty to point out when they don't? But I'm just going to go on and keep living my life the way that, that I am living it because I am not perfect, but you should be. Do we nitpick and try to control the way that others live? The way that others think, maybe even? Do we talk about it behind their backs and sometimes right in front of them 
but do it in such a passive way as to try to make it seem like we're maybe not talking about them, but they need the information anyway, but we're really talking about them right in front of them. This passive-aggressive nature that people have. Are we pickier about the way that our brothers and sisters live, but not picky enough about the way that we live? And if so, then shouldn't we try to live up to the same standard that we hold them to? Or have we found that that standard that we've set is too high? Is it even achievable? You see, as Christians, we are standard bearers, not standard setters. We are standard bearers. We bear the standard of Christ. We each bear this standard of Christ being sure not to pick apart the wrinkles and the spots, maybe even the tears, in the standard of the person standing next to us. Have you found yourself in a place where you're picking apart the lives of other people while ignoring the wrinkles and the spots and the tears in your own life? You see, the Scriptures call us to share the truth, and by doing so... The Scriptures call us to build one another up, not to tear each other down, but to build one another up and to do this with the truth. Our first Scripture for today, in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 25. If you're there with me, say amen. All right, listen to this. The Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus, Therefore, having put away all falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. See, be angry and do not sin. There is a place for anger in life, but not to follow that anger with sin, sinful action, even sinful thought, because we know that Jesus calls us to a higher law than even the commandments do of of God in the Old Testament. Jesus calls us to a law of the heart. Not just not to commit adultery, but not to lust. Not just not to murder, but not to hate in our heart. A higher law. Be angry and do not sin. Verse 26 says, Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Let him work so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. Let me read that one again. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Some of us need this today. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So the the goal, the object, is grace. For the ones who hear grace, that they would have grace. Build them up, share the truth, do it in love, and share grace with them, that it may give grace to those who hear it, or to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. My goodness. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and danger and, I'm sorry, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This section brings me to my knees because it is so opposite of what we see in the world, isn't it? Isn't it so opposite of what we see in the world and maybe what we've fallen victim to and prayed to in our own lives? That that we shouldn't cut each other down. That we probably shouldn't be sharing memes on Facebook or social media that make fun of people's looks even if they're from a different political party. That we shouldn't be setting people up to revel in our own wickedness as we share things with people and say things that simply cut one another to pieces and tear each other apart, that we shouldn't do these things. This scripture flies in the face of the world and it calls us to a deeper life, to a more loving life, to a more graceful and compassionate life, to a life filled with mercy and love. This is what this verse calls us to. And it is so different than the current existence and the current state not only of America, but of the entire world. Notice the verse 32 there. Again, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Listen, church, our own forgiveness, the fact that we were forgiven of our many sins, our many faults, the things that we continue to do, the things that we get stuck in and we turn away from God uh, as a result of, those very things are forgiven at the cross of Jesus Christ once we submit to Him and give our life to Him. Because we are forgiven of so much, we should love Him so much and we should it, that should cause us to love others as much as we love ourselves even. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others as you love yourself. The forgiveness of Jesus Christ should cause us to love. But some have forgotten that. The truth of God is expounded upon us to give the truth in such a way that we would build one another up through it and that truth should emanate and flow from the throne of grace that offered forgiveness for all who sin and come to Jesus. And if we allow our anger with folks to reach a tipping point, then we will undoubtedly fall into sin. Be angry and do not sin, the scripture says. And this section tells us that when we are angry, we should not let that fester into sin by cutting down with our words or the things that we do. By cutting others down with those. See, many believe that when they're hurt or when someone else has done something bad to them, that, you know, hey, listen, man, it's fair game now, baby. It's fair game. You said something about me. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. Or when somebody else gets you, I'm going to stand up and applaud. I'm going to be happy at your demise because you said something that did something bad to me. That's what human nature wants to do. That's what the flesh wants to do. But I, I encourage you away from that. Run, flee from that. Resist it. It's not the way of Christ. It doesn't equate with the teaching of Scripture. And it's not the way of the Apostle Paul because it's not the way of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul writes this. He goes on to say that this gives opportunity to the devil and that it grieves the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you, church, who in here today just woke up saying, man, I think I'm going to give an opportunity to the devil today. 
I think I'm about to grieve the Holy Spirit today. Man, I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to do that. Ain't nobody in here waking up doing that, right? And if you are, let me know. I'd love to pray for you. (laughs) We'll put you on our prayer list, baby. We don't, we don't wake up doing that. We don't want to, but we, we fall into these things, don't we? We run the slippery slope of life. And once we've done one thing, we've, we've just kind of gotten off the slope a little bit, just kind, of, just kind of edging off with our feet, and we're bound to take a great fall. This is what sin does. It's a slippery slope, and there is a snowball effect with it. It festers and it builds. See, this should lead us to live a differently than we currently do in the world, but this happens every time that we put ourselves at the center of life where everything revolves around us and our feeble way of thinking. What am I living this life for? What is this life for? Who am I living it for? If I'm living this life for me, for my own success, for my own well-being, if I'm concerned only with myself and my own personal happiness, no matter what that means for anybody else, then I am at the center of life and these things will fester. If, we who want to be, uh, if who we want to become has not crossed our minds, maybe you think, I don't think about that. Well, we should. We should think about it. If what we live life for hasn't come into focus for us in life, then it should. It absolutely should. And let me say this. Who we want to become should flow freely from who we belong to in Christ. Who we want to become should flow freely from who we belong to in Christ. So it should flow freely from Christ, who we want to become. We should know whose we are and let that lead us to who we want to become. But in order to do this, we have to get into the passenger seat as Jesus drives. We can't get into the driver's seat, put Jesus in the passenger seat or the back seat. Might as well try to put him in the trunk because he don't ride passenger seat in life. Jesus is the driver. Amen? If you're driving, oh, I'm bringing Jesus along. No, no. I have a newsflash. He ain't in the car. Because he don't ride passenger. He ain't even in the vehicle. You see, because we are the branches. We are not the vine. John 15, let's go there. John 15. We need our church to say amen. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Vine dresser, gardener, same type of thing. Whoop. All right. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Let me read that a little slower in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. 
as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now verse 1 again, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the true vine. This is Christ speaking. He leaves no questions there. This statement is definitive. I am the true vine, he says. Or I am the vine. His father is the gardener. He's the vine dresser. His father planted him here on the earth. This is what Jesus is alluding to. That he's been planted. And that now we must remain in him. And that those who are in him are the branches that go forth from him. If we are rooted in Him, we get the same nutrition, the same nutrient. We are powered by God, the Holy Spirit Himself even. His Father is the gardener. His Father planted Him here. The Father is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He has made everything that is seen, everything that is unseen. He knit us together in our mother's wombs even. And according to Psalm 22, He made us trust Him at our mother's breast. Listen to this. Psalm 22, 9-11. Yet you, uh, you are he who took me from the womb. The psalmist talking to, we believe it's David, talking to the Lord. You, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me for trouble is near. And there is no one to help. Who am I? What have I been been living this life for? What am I living for? What do I want with my life? Who am I? Who have I been living this life for? If we are rooted and taken up into Christ and we are with Christ and He, His presence emanates from us as we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, but we can only do that in Christ because apart from Christ we can bear no fruit, He says in John 15. He gives us this opportunity, this great opportunity to have faith in Him and He he is the precursor. He's the instigator. He's, he's the initiator and the pulse and the reason. He is. He is. He simply is. God says, I am. He says, I am. He is. In this psalm, he lets us know that he's first. All the way back to when we were first fed and even knit together, we played no part in our own creation. You see, many times people in life, based on the decisions that they make for their own life and saying, what am I living this life for? Who am I living this life for? I'm living it to succeed. I'm living it to be somebody, baby. I want to be somebody better than my parents were. I want to be somebody better than you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to reach the ladder. I'm going I'm to ride and, and walk up the ladder of success and I'm going to reach that goal, that pinnacle, that mountaintop in this life. We need to understand that we play no part in our own creation. It is not something, it is not something that we can take for granted. If we play no part in our own creation, 
then to a certain to a certain respect we we will play no part in our destination it's god who makes that decision and he makes that decision based on the life that either we give him or the life that we use to walk away from him and as soon as we're conceived we begin to need because we have had no other source for food at the beginning our mother back then especially now there's all kinds of formulas and all this you know that so so you know but we had no other source of food we needed him and he was teaching us even then I was made to trust you at my mother's breast. In other words, my need for food, my need for sustenance, that which I needed to live, you made me to trust you for it through my mother. The psalmist is saying, as soon as we're conceived, we begin to need and we begin to depend. We are born dependent. And we live in a culture now that has moved to independence. Don't we? Independence. I don't need nobody. I don't need you. I don't need nobody. You know what I'm saying? This is the culture. And this is not of God. We are born dependent. All this when we were created as dependent beings and die as dependent beings. The world wants to move closer and closer to independence. He, they want you to be independent. Even now, all over the world, babies are cast from their mother at birth into the garbage cans and removed in pieces as their mothers choose not to or choose to have them aborted. Babies are dependent. Now, there is a push here in our country as to whether or not to give a baby life, giving care when they're born alive during an abortion procedure. Did you know this? They're born alive. Should you keep them alive? According to these states and these politicians and these doctors and these mothers, nah, nah, just kill them. I didn't want it. On the table, alive, being left for dead. They are dependent. They need some evil, evil people don't think that they deserve it. And base, they base this on the mother's decision. They say this is the wickedness in its, true, it's, in, its, in its truest form, its wickedness. Life is the essence of the gospel. I want you to think about that, church. That life, life, that's the essence of the gospel. Like the whole reason we need Jesus Christ is for what? So that we don't die forever, right? So that we live. Life. Life is the essence of the gospel. And people want to deny it to others here in this world. You understand that, right? That that's contrary to the teaching of the scripture. If life is the essence of the gospel, the reason we believe in Jesus Christ is so that we can have eternal life with him and in him forever in his kingdom as his family. That anything that goes against that, that anything that would come up against that is contrary to the teaching of Scripture and Jesus Christ. And it does not commingle with Christ. There is no fellowship between that and Christ. There is no fellowship. But the good news about God and the gospel is that once rebellious people who have sinned in their life place their faith in Jesus Christ, they are saved and not destined for destruction anymore. 
They are given life. Life. You see, they have a choice to make about whether they want eternal life or not. People do. But these babies, they have no choice. They're denied the opportunity to breathe. They have only a mother's and a doctor's and a government's choice to live or die by. They are denied life. The very essence of the gospel is dragged through the streets and through the mud of our country and placed in trash cans at abortion clinics. It is a denial of Jesus Christ and it is contrary to the life of Jesus Christ. And it is contrary to the life of the true believer, the Christian. You see, our lives here should point to the life once lived here. Let me say that again. Our lives here should point to the life once lived here. The life of Christ. The life that He showed us how to live. And then when He showed us how to live, He then showed us how to die, didn't He? He should be the center. But with man at the center of life and the question of why we live in this life, we are left to our own devices, failures, and selfish ambition. And those who don't depend on the Lord will be judged by those decisions in the end. We need Him to live. We need Him to live and when we die we need him for salvation so that we can continue to live I never want to be so delusional that I think that I don't need and don't live and, and in need of him when I think that I don't need him that I'm declaring that I'm strong enough to handle life on my own and moreover proud of my own strength But this is a lie. It's a fallacy that only proves my own rebellion against God. When I think I'm strong enough, this doesn't prove that I'm strong. It proves my rebellion against God. And when I've declared myself strong, oh God, He will humble me. Matthew 23, 12, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James 4, 6, But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see, the scripture also teaches us that when we are weak, then he will strengthen us. And when we are humble, he will raise us up. Hosea 6, 1 through 3. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up that we may live before Him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. God will not leave us. He will replenish us. He will restore us. And this is the wonderful thing. Even about anybody who's ever committed any sin, even the ones I was just talking about in abortion, we can ask, we can confess that sin to God. We can ask forgiveness from God. And He is sure to forgive because we're going to Him for it. We can be forgiven. I lived most of my life in rebellion to God. But He plucked me out of it and saved me from it when I turned to Him for it. And He'll do the same thing for you. And for everyone you know, if they will turn to Him. And He will forgive their sin. And He will hide it as far away as the east is from the west. 
and He will bring you close. And as the spring rains come, He will use it to make your life, to put your life in bloom and to make you flower, to make you radiant to the world so that they would see and ask, what is different about you? There's something different about you. You've gone through all this stuff. I know a lot of people that have gone through all this stuff, but you you seem to be so confident. You seem to be different than others who have gone through these same things. What is it about you? Well, it's nothing about me, but it's a lot about my God, who he's called me to be and how he's given me strength. Let us press on to know the Lord. Let us know, he says, let us know, let us press on, in verse 3, to know the Lord there in Hosea. We need to know him so that we can live and be in the right posture before him. We need to be put out of the center of, we need to be out of the center of life so that we can kneel and worship at his throne, that he's in the center of life. He is the center, he is the reason, he is the engine, he is life itself. We need to emulate him. We do not need to emulate the world church. We need to emulate Christ. We don't need to emulate our own ideals. We don't need to push these upon the world. We need to push upon the world or press upon the world with the ideals of Jesus Christ as he's taught us in the scripture. Verse 2, he says, I am the true vine in John 15. I am the true vine, or this is verse 1 again. 1 and 2, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. God is about you being fruit bearing. He wants you to have like all these awesome things happen in life for the kingdom of God. That is ultimate fruit bearing. Not just that things would go well for you and you would be successful, but that you would advance the kingdom of God on the earth. This is the ultimate, the ultimate, this is the pinnacle of fruit bearing, advancing the kingdom of God on the earth. This is life, being in Christ and bearing fruit. That's what life is, being in Christ and bearing fruit. This is life, that is life. Being in Christ, wrapped up into his glory, to be with him forever, given the Holy Spirit to lead God and direct you as you live this life, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world because the Holy Spirit is in you and to bear much fruit. And then when you're bearing fruit, boom, little prune, bear more fruit, boom. More godly, more righteousness, more holiness in life, more awesome living. Instead, this world is conditioned now to cut each other down if they don't agree or if they're inconvenienced by each other. But we would do well to remember that we are not always right and that we always have more to learn. Amen? Does anybody know everything yet? Anyone of y'all? Anybody got everything all figured out? Anybody? Anybody? Crickets? Yeah. Ain't none of us got it all figured out. We've got more to learn. All of us. More to learn. Why are we here? We're here to learn. Why do I study the word? To learn. Why do I preach? To learn and to share what I've learned. 
to make converts, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Why do we do this? Wisdom. We want wisdom from heaven. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. We cannot hold people to a standard that we cannot even meet ourselves. Issues arise for us in Christ when we put others through the gauntlet of our minds instead of helping and working to build one another up with the truth. The problem with putting our brothers and sisters through the gauntlet, picking their lives apart, is that it doesn't exemplify the standard that Christ set for us. He wanted us to love each other as He has loved us. We live life in response to His love. Everything we do as a Christian is in response to the love of Jesus Christ that He showed us. He loved us first. The Scripture says that He loved us first. Not that we loved Him, but that He loved us first. He set the pace. And though we fall behind, we still get a chance to finish the race and be at the victory party with the one who defeated sin and death on the cross at that great and glorious wedding feast of the Lamb in the future. And the Lord makes it pretty simple as to what we are doing when we aren't loving one another. He says that we are not loving Him. I'm going to read something for you. This is because those who love Him follow His commands. Chief among them, to love the Lord God with everything that we are. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. When we're not loving Him, we're not doing that, we're not loving Him, we're not loving Christ. John 14, uh, 15 through 24 teaches this truth. Listen to John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Pretty good, right? That's pretty simple. Like, I don't think I'd need to ask any more questions other than, okay, so what are your commandments? Right? And they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in, in the law? And he, he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So love, if you love me, you will keep my commandment to love. He says that our love for one another as disciples of Jesus will show the world that we're disciples of Jesus, that our love for one another does that. Isn't that amazing? John 14, 21 Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So again, he's saying the same thing. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Okay, so there's more to it. The love of God, the triune God, he will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So Jesus will be manifest to those who love him. So he will become real. He will come into focus for those who love him. You want Jesus to come into focus for you? I hope you do, church. I hope you want Jesus to come into focus for you here and now. If you want that, obey the commands of Christ to love. Love Jesus with everything that you are. Again, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus will show himself to us this happens in the presence of the Holy Spirit who brings to remembrance all the things that Jesus commanded. And also, once and for all, when we go from this life, we're going to be boom, face to face with Christ. Amen? Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Those who love Him, He will be made manifest to them. We will see the Lord. How amazing is that? 
John 14, 23 and 24, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So we display love for Christ by doing what? Keeping his word. Keeping his commands. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Jesus himself sets the example on how to live in obedience through love. So he's saying that the word that he's giving is the Father's word. So he's being obedient to the Father and giving the Father's word to his disciples. And he's doing this out of his love, out of his love for the Father. Listen to this, John 14, 31. But I do as the Father has commanded me. So Jesus is showing us how to submit to authority, isn't he? He's showing us how to submit to authority. He's showing us how to love like Him. He's showing us how to respond to Him the way that He responds to the Father. He's showing us that He will be made manifest to us if we can respond to Him the way that He responds to the Father. He's showing us that we will be with Him forever if we respond to Him. Have you responded to Jesus Christ, church? But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus Christ had an objective. He had a goal. What am I living this life for? Who am I living this life for? The what and the who became the same. What am I living this life for? The Father. Who am I living this life for? The Father. Christ lived this life for His Father. He came to teach us what His Father would teach us. To show us how to live so that we would be wrapped up into his glory forever once we gave our lives to him. But I do as the Father has commanded me, John 14, 31 again, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Are you living your life? Are you obedient to the commands of Christ to love? Are you doing that to get ahead in life, thereby not really following the command of Christ, but following your own command? Or, let me ask you this, what do you want the world to know about God? Do you want the world to know about God? If you want the world to know about God, then you want a good thing. You want a beautiful thing if you want the world to know about God. And the world will know about God as you emulate the love of Jesus Christ, and as you love Christ by following His commands, and thereby share the love of Christ and the Father with the world, that the Father would know, or that the world would know that the Father is real, and that Jesus Christ is His Son, and died for their sins on the cross. He does as the Father has commanded Him, so that the world can see and know that his, of His love for the Father, because love shows obedience, church. There is no true love without obedience. There is no obedience without love. Do you love the Lord with all your mind, soul, heart, and strength? Do you love others as you love yourself? If you do love others the way you love yourself, then I'd like for you to examine the way that you love yourself. Some folks have a problem loving themselves. Maybe you've done something in life you deem too bad for forgiveness. 
Maybe you've done something, wronged somebody, and you don't love yourself as you, you should or as you ought. Maybe you could. Maybe you live in shame and regret. The throne of grace is the throne of grace. It is an undeserved gift. That's what the word grace means. It's an undeserved gift. It's a gift that we don't work for. The throne of grace calls you in to leave your shame and regret at the altar and take up the banner of Christ. That you would be covered in His blood, covered in His righteousness, covered in His forgiveness, covered in His love forever. That's what the throne of grace does for the Christian. That we don't need to live in shame and regret of the things that we've once done, but that we live in boldness because of the one who we believe in now. We live and are alive in Christ if we would come to the throne of grace and give our lives to Jesus. It's easy to say that we treat other people the way that we want to be treated. But where is that treatment coming from? Where are we getting that wisdom from and that knowledge? How do we treat people? Where are we getting that information? How am I supposed to treat folks? How do I get that information? Is it treatment that's godly treatment? Or is that how you're treating yourself, treating other people? Or is it worldly treatment? Are you only nice to people to get what you want? Or are you nice to people because of who you are in Christ? Why do you do things that you do? You see, we want to make sure it's not a worldly love born of convenience or even born of the same politics. We want godly love permeating through every action and every word that comes out of us as Christian believers. We want true love permeating. Remember that as you study that section in John 14, that not keeping the commands of Christ means there's no love for Christ. No love for Christ means there's no Holy Spirit to guide you and that there's no saving love from the Father. Remember that. They are all interwoven and you cannot have one without the other. Again, John 15, 1 through 8, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. I pray that we are pruned here today, church. That we are pruned. Sometimes we're growing a little bit out of control and we need a little haircut in life. Right? I garden. I don't know if any of y'all garden. I'm... I'm a gardener. I've taken up the gardening thing during this pandemic. And any of y'all done that? Maybe? No? <laughs> You're like, nah, I ain't going outside. It's too hot. You know? Lots of mosquitoes right now. I can tell you that. Man, I was all oiled up with off last night just trying to get step out one foot into my backyard. You know what I'm saying? That rain got, got us, man. But sometimes things are going on a little, a little out of control. And so we need a little pruning that we might bear much more fruit. And God does that. He supplies that. Verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Think about that, that the disciples of Christ and believers are now clean because of the words of Christ spoken to them. His word is a cleansing word. It cleans you. When you hear the word of Christ, Christian, it cleans you up. Why? Because you realize all that dirtiness. You realize all those things that you were thinking that were wrong. You realize that maybe you were headed the wrong direction in life because the word of Christ does its work and it will not return void and it it will clean you up. The beauty of Christ is that we don't have to get cleaned up before we come to him. Amen? 
We don't have to be like, hold on, hold on a second. I need to get my life right before I come to Jesus. No, no. The beauty of the gospel is that we come to Jesus and he cleans us up. That's the beauty of the gospel. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And he cleaned us up as we took refuge in him. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. That's a, a, a scripture that we need repeated over and over again in our lives, don't we? He is the vine, we are the branches. We are not the vine. Life does not emanate from us, it emanates from Christ. We are a reflection of his glory and beauty. We are like the moon to his sun. I am the vine, you are the, are, are, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. God gets glory from you bearing fruit. So from you benefiting the kingdom of God, and living rightly, calling people to Christ, exemplifying the love of Christ, bearing fruit for Christ in the kingdom, God gets glory from that. God gets glory from that. So the question was, originally, what am I living this life for? And this begs the question we talked about, who am I living this life for? And now after considering these questions and reading you some verses of scripture, what do you say? What is this life for? What have I been living this life for? What have you been living this life for? Who have you been living this? What do you say? If we think merely of, uh, merely of future exploits and bank accounts and deposits and land and homes and stocks and bonds and comforts in this world, then the what is already determined and the who is you. But Jesus recognizes his own submission to his Father out of love. He does this for his disciples and he does it for us today. He teaches us through the vine and the branches that our own heartfelt love for him can be grown as we grow with him. He says it can be pruned and continue to grow. Glory to God. He shows us that compassion for one another should be at the center of who we are because it's at the center of who he is. After all, 1 John 4, 8 tells us this amazing truth. Are you ready for it, church? God is love. He says that. In fact, I want to read 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Love is not from the world, church. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. It came to light. It became real. We saw it. It was real. We could touch it. it the love of God was made manifest. It came into being. 
In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's the love of God made manifest. The love of God made real is that Jesus Christ came. Amen? In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, because we haven't, we've rebelled against God. This, that's what this is saying. Not that we've loved Him. Not, not that we've loved Him. Not that we deserve this love, in other words. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. God's love is perfected in you when you love one another. You hear that? And this is the life lived for God with him at the center, at the forefront of our minds and hearts. This is the godly life. This is the life lived for God, the loving life. This is the life of building one another up with the truth and not letting the sun go down while we are still angry. This is what is at the center of the verse that says, Be angry, but do not sin. Let love override it all. Our questions about life, eternity, existence itself, trial, and success should be lived from a place where we are bowed in humble submission to the God of all creation. We need as a people, as a church, to live humbled at the feet of Jesus Christ for all to see. We need to make our decisions from this place. Everything in life is connected to what we believe about these things. About who God is, why I'm here, and who I live for, and who He is. Don't let anyone convince you to separate your faith from your decisions, church. Your faith should always inform your decisions. And the Holy Spirit will show you how to live. And I pray that your love and understanding of the Word of God would continue to grow more and more and more as you read and as you are changed by its teaching. Listen to this. St. Augustine of Hippo in his Confessions. Uh, I, that's something I, I highly recommend to read if, if you're looking to read something new. The Confessions of St. Augustine of Hippo. He wrote this, listen to this, quote, The Bible was composed in such a way that as beginners mature, its meaning grows with them. Mm. We will understand more and more, and it will become even more beautiful to us. Again, the Bible was composed in such a way that as beginners mature, its meaning grows with them. Let's grow with one another in Christ. Let's keep Him at the center. Let me tell you this. This is radical. It is crazy thinking here in this world right now. Let's love them all. How about that? How about we do that? Let's love them all. All of them. All of them. Let's pray for all of them. I'm talking about everybody on this planet. Everybody. No matter what kind of differences you have with them, 
your main difference is going to be faith in Jesus Christ versus non-believers. But I want you to pray for them and I want you to love them. More than that, Christ wants you to love them. What is this life for? It is for God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for for giving us instruction, God, for teaching us how to live and how to love, for teaching us that there's a greater purpose, Lord, that we have here in this world than maybe we've ever even thought of. And that purpose is to shine bright the word of Christ, the life of Christ as we live. That our purpose is to build a kingdom, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To teach them all that you've commanded, Lord. And that, lo, you would be with us until the end of the age. God, help us with this endeavor. Help us with your mission that you've given us. Help us in the church to be compassionate people, to be loving people, to invite people in, to want them to stay, to want to love on them as they fail to, or as we even fail to have others that would love on us and lift us up and help us up out of the mire. God, help us to be one with you, Lord, and to be in unity with one another about who you are, why you came, what your mission for us is, and how we go about accomplishing that. Help us, oh God. We need your strength. In Jesus' name, amen.